The Rockets are at the midpoint of the season, and we are back on Texas Sports Nation, the podcast. I'm Jonathan Fagan, and Danielle Lerner makes her triumphant return uh, after being on assignment last week. Welcome back to the pod. Oh, thank you. Just overjoyed to be here on this lovely Tuesday morning. <laughs> oh, it's it's been just joyous, uh, this Rockets season. Uh, we reached the midpoint of the season. Uh, a game ago. So the loss to Philadelphia was how they started the second half of the season. And it's kind of more of the same. I mean, wow. I mean, they're bad. I mean, there's a lot of ways to put it. And we'll talk about all the reasons and the the strategies behind a lot of it. But, you know, at some point, you got to point out the most obvious part. They're just a really bad basketball team. You are what your record says, but beyond that, when you're getting blown out at home every night, uh, you're not good. And that's what we are seeing. When the game's over, pretty much, you know, in the second quarter, you know you're you're done for. When you have three teams in a row come into your home arena and set new first-half scoring records against you for the season, you know, 74 points and 77 points, then 80 points in the first half, um, that's not a great sign, generally. It's odd that they actually defended better last night against the Sixers, and they still weren't even close. They were blown out. The Sixers defended really well, and the Rockets broke down badly, couldn't run their offense. But generally, the Rockets' defense is so bad that they don't give themselves a chance. You know, I was asked yesterday, why is their defense so bad? Are they just not trying? And it's really not that, although to a degree there was the one game where they weren't getting back at all. And when they were getting back, they were just sort of running alongside and getting a good look, like people who go to the marathon and kind of, hey, look at how fast those guys are going. You know, that's really not defense. But generally, it's not that. It's not that a lack of trying hard. It's that they really, they're almost clueless that there's, they don't recognize plays as they are happening, so they're reacting all the time. I put in the takeaways one night. It's like if you're starting a race and instead of taking off at the gun, you don't start running until you see everybody else start running. Well, you know, you give everybody a head start, you're going to be late. You're not going to catch up. And that's the Rockets defensively. They're always looking surprised at what they see. Like, oh, okay, I got to go here. And they just get torched. I mean, they're just, just getting lit up. Uh, we're, you know, 141 points the other day. They're not good enough offensively. They're a pretty good offensive team. They've got some attributes, but they're not good enough to just try and win 146-143 all the time. You know, the Charlotte score from early in the year. You know, at, at some point, and we'll talk about this, they have to figure out what this tells them. But what we do know, and it's worth stepping back for a moment at the midpoint of the season, what we do know is they're not a competitive team. They're one of the three worst teams in the league. Some of that is by design, the decision to stay young, just play the kids. But they have a lot of decisions to make in a little less than a month before the trade deadline and then heading into the offseason. And I think complicating or maybe not complicating some of those decisions, but making them more interesting to me is that Silas has talked the last few games about the starting lineup having no pop or juice or various other words. And he's kind of right in that the second unit has brought a lot of the energy, not necessarily the talent that they need to overcome these large deficits, but 
their second unit at time has looked the best on the floor, not defensively, but certainly offensively. You know, David Nwaba has been playing with great energy. Josh Christopher didn't have a great game against Philadelphia, but has been pretty good. Like these are the guys that try hard. And that does not mean that all of a sudden those guys are going to move into being starters and whatever. But it is interesting comparing kind of the the bench and, and the starters and looking at, you know, there used to be this massive drop off and there still is a drop off. But it seems like it's almost not as big as it was before. I'm being the old grouch at the start of this podcast and I feel bad about it, but I'm going to be the old grouch on this one, too. Yeah, it's a lot easier when the other team is up 25 and has staking out its starters. And so the bench guys come in and they run and play hard and, oh, good. You know, you're never judged by garbage time. Good. They don't mail it in. That that speaks well to them. Uh, and certainly David Nwaba being the veteran of that group, the finish the game group, you know, he really plays hard. Uh, but... You don't make judgments over what's happening when the other team is thinking about what time is the flight. and You know, should I start icing here on the bench? And, you know, (laughs) let's let's cheer for the young guys. They're really trying hard. You know, when you're playing that team, as opposed to the team that started the game, uh, you can't make judgments. And so, okay, with that, I'll stop being the old grouch uh, on the 11 and 31 team. Uh, but they are what they are. You know, like they say, you are what your record says you are. Uh, their record is 11-31. and 31. The eight-game home losing streak, five straight home blowouts since the Laker game. And so at some point they have to say, I don't know if this is the point, but it's coming up. What do they make from what they have seen about the guys they've invested so much of their future in? Is Kevin Porter Jr. going to be their point guard of the future? That I, I think they don't have to decide that now. Uh, you know, there, there's no reason to decide that now. Uh, I think you could be happy with, okay, Jalen Green shows that potential. We know he's really young. We knew that before the season. He's got a lot to develop, but he's got such a good attitude. He works so hard and he's got such talent. Okay. The other half of that. In the front court, and, and I think I agree, Josh Christopher has been very encouraging. You're, you're happy with what he has shown. If anything, he's shooting threes better than they would have predicted, which gives him a chance to be off the ball if they have a point guard at some point. Kevin Porter Jr. has become the question. Now, I wouldn't call him the problem. It's too early for that at the midpoint of the season. But is he going to be the point guard of the future? I think part of that, a lot of Rockets fans would probably say, well, that depends on his attitude. And and obviously that's part of it for any player. You know, you have a, a halftime blow up like he did the other week. And even though they, you know, ostensibly managed to get past it, that still is of some concern that he could be prone to revert to kind of those temper tantrums that he had in Cleveland that, you know, made that franchise want to get rid of him. That is an issue. And your point guard is someone, you know, for, for all the cliches, it is true that they are usually counted on to be a leader. Uh, on and off the floor and especially on such a young team and you know he is young himself we can't forget like he hasn't really played like a full season so you know he he gets some slack for a kind of a learning curve on the court I think but I think at this point like you've been in the NBA for a little while you know you're not a teenager anymore and you kind of have to like get yourself together for lack of a better term. You know, uh, let's say we give him a pass, at least for the conversation's sake, on 
the incident that, you know, Stephen Silas said they need to make it a speed bump. Let's say that it is, that it's something that's almost good because you knew he was going to have one of these sometime. They, they were understanding that he's got some issues that he has to work through. So because it happened, he has a chance to work on those. And he handled it in a very good way where he was contrite. He, he apologized all around. He came back and played with a great attitude actually ended up winning. the. He didn't shoot well, but he ended up winning the game in Washington. All good. Something, you know, maybe for the sake of argument, that's a learning moment and it makes him and makes them stronger. From a basketball standpoint, he's not a traditional point guard. There are hardly any of those left anymore anyway. But, you know, he's shooting 36%. So if he's a shooter and he's a scorer, He's very inefficient. He's not a high assist guy. He's a kind of high turnover guy. You can live with that with a guy who creates a ton of offense, but does he create a ton of offense? And you don't see a lot of progress as an offensive point guard. Surprisingly, defensively, he's gotten better this year, much better. I think he reverted a little bit when he came back from the injury, but you know he showed signs of really turning that side of it around, which is kind of surprising considering how bad the team is defensively and I kind of put you on the spot the way I okay let's set up the topic and then I'll ask you is he the point guard of the future very you know I, I'm getting to be a podcast veteran <laughs> I think that's how the the podcast guys do it when they get to the tough one you don't just introduce the topic you put it on the other person so I you know I, I my answer would have been if you had done that trick to me that it's too soon to say that you've got to give him more time, but it is something that they can't answer to the affirmative either. They can't say, oh, yeah, you know, we got it. We, he, that's our backcourt 10 years from now, Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. They can't say that yet. Uh, but I will give it more time. If you're trying to make judgments from a half season, well, then you can make judgments from the half season that remains, too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I agree. And, and, you know, he's definitely still has more time to prove himself. And if he's not the answer, then Jalen Green has more time to prove if he can be that, if he can play some more point, if he, I, I think he has gotten more, way more aggressive when he's handling the ball. And, and that's been really encouraging to see just how he can just explode off of these, these drives to the basket um, when he has mismatched matches or even when he doesn't have favorable mismatched matches, he just goes for it anyway. And, and he's able to, to finish strong. He's gotten a lot stronger, I think, since the beginning of the season, which is kind of par for the course, I think, for any rookie. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how it unfolds. You know, yeah, I know. I hate to put it that way, but that is the only correct. The wait and see has to be because, as I said, you know, you, you're kind of not thrilled with the development of the first half of the season. Kevin Porter Jr. lost a month, but he also played hurt through some of it. Well, you get another half of the season. On Jalen Green, defensively, he has to get better. And he will as he recognizes things better. But he reminds me a lot of those little quick guards who come in the league. And defensively, they have struggles because they're so small. But eventually, they learn to use that quickness to be really disruptive. Jalen Green is always going to be a, a real slender guy. I think he will play stronger when he gets stronger, not because he's going to be strong compared to the guy he's going against, but he'll feel like that. You know, He'll feel like he can use that better. But he does need, a, as time goes on, as he develops, to be up on the ball and be the, use all that quickness to be disruptive. 
which he's not ready to do yet. Nobody does when they first get in the league, no matter how quick they might be. I think that's an opportunity for him that where he can grow into a better defensive player by having a way to use all that quickness. Then the other question, and, and I think, you know, we mentioned Josh Christopher looks like a keeper. You know, he looks, I, I think he has a real positive feel to him when he plays. and He's been productive. Uh, Alperin Shangun should be back in a week. The other question, as we're a couple days less than a month from the trade deadline, they got a couple veterans who do not play at all when, in most circumstances. DJ Augustine does not play if everybody's available. Eric Gordon was out last night, and so Augustine played. Daniel Tice was not playing at all with Shangun out. So with the center, the backup center out, the guy you signed to be your starting center and who did start last night to match up with Embiid, not playing at all. Do they got to move these veterans? Can they move these veterans? I think more than the guys who get all the attention uh, in conversations about the trade deadline, Christian Wood and Eric Gordon, those are the guys, you know, DJ Augustine, you're not going to get much for, but you know, he's going to be a free agent. He can step into a team and play some solid minutes. Uh, Those are the ones I think are most likely to be moved. Daniel Tice got four years as a four-year contract, but my gosh, if he's not playing at all, as Shangun develops and as you want to spend the rest of this season giving Shangun playing time, if you keep Christian Wood at the deadline, can you also keep Daniel Tice? Yeah, and I mean, as we've seen, the the ways that they use Daniel Tice are just to match up with these, you know, really, really big guys like Embiid. But obviously that doesn't, that doesn't work half the time. Still, they're still bad. They're so bad collectively that it doesn't really matter who you put on Embiid or Jokic or any of those guys. So yeah, why not when Shingun is healthy, when his ankle sprain has healed, you know, if you want to, to experiment still with bringing out the too big lineup against certain opponents um, even though it's it's not the same Daniel Daniel Tice versus Alperin Shangun, you could still do that just to tinker with it, just just to kind of give Christian Wood um, that experience of playing alongside uh, another big man, and and of course Alperin Shangun's passing, I think, just kind of opens up the floor a lot more for Christian Wood when they're out there together. They haven't been out there together a lot, um, so yeah, I think I think Daniel Tice is. Obviously, has seen his role uh, rapidly diminish here in Houston throughout the season, and I don't see it getting any bigger. Yeah, the thing with Tice is he plays hard and he plays smart, and, and you know, so he's a good defensive player. He's a pro defensively, which they don't have enough of. But he's not a giant of a guy. You know, he's a six-eight center, so. If if his role is, okay, you're only going to play when we're playing Valanchunas and Steven Adams and Joel Embiid, uh, you know, okay, I only play when I have to give up 40 pounds and four inches. You know, it's just a really tough job, that it, it, the role that has become for him, where if he was sort of an innings eater, where, yeah, you're going to have 25 to 28 minutes every night of a solid defensive player, screen setter on the floor. Okay, then you could see his value. I mean, he has to shoot better than 28% on threes, but I still think he can. Uh, I, I think the tough start shooting threes has been sort of the aberration part. 
But, you know, to have him be sort of the emergency fix-it guy, I, I don't think that's what you get from him. I think it's got to be the, you know, take take innings, you know, just be out there and play. And they don't have that role for him. It's just not who they are. It, it, it's sort of about the whole season in some ways. And I know it's hard to put it this way when you're at the midpoint of the season and it's 11-31, but they chose to make this season all about development. But that also means you're going to lose a lot. And so you start to wonder, does that impact development? Do they start to sort of get used to losing and maybe don't compete the way that they would, that they need to if they were more competitive on the scoreboard? And then does that hinder development? Does that take away the competitiveness that you expect and need when you're not just all about development. And that's the other thing that you risk when you set up a season to not be just about the scoreboard. Yeah, obviously the, the balance between development and you know being competitive has been something that the Rockets have struggled with all season. And by struggle, I mean they're really they haven't had a choice in the matter because even when they try, they're not very competitive. So at some point, you kind of fall back and, and you can say, OK, well, it's more important to be getting our our young core, our future, some minutes. But, you know, it's hard to even do that when you're getting blown out so early in these games. You can't justify, OK, we want to get Jalen Green some more minutes. You know, we want him out there. But why are you going to put him out there when you're down by 30 in the second half? You know, so Silas has been putting in, you know, his closers, essentially, who are the end of bench guys you know, like like Trevlin Queen and and David Nuaba and, and um, Josh Christopher. And it's like, you know, at, at some point I, I see what he's doing. But also at some point, I think you just got to take your lumps in those situations and say, like, OK, let's use this as an opportunity to tinker more with the guys who we really see as the future of our franchise. I don't want to be all doom and gloom here because things change in the NBA. And obviously the Rockets are the best example maybe ever of that since they're the only team to have gone from a 15-game losing streak to a seven-game winning streak. So things can change again. You know, I don't think Silas wanted to put it this way because he didn't want to give his guys an out, but there's no denying they do look somewhat worn out. They've played somewhat shorthanded, not as bad as other teams, but they've been a little bit shorthanded and no team has played as many games in the past month as they have. Their 19 games in the past month is the most in the NBA. Uh, they've had six back-to-backs in that stretch. And they look it. And they've had some really bad travel situations, too. Not as bad as the Nets going from Brooklyn to Portland in a back-to-back, which set the all-time record for the NBA doesn't own a map. But they've had some tough travel times. I, again, they've played more games in this month long slide, this one month since their last home win which was against the Nets, than any team in the league. And it's starting to show. So maybe he gets just a little bit of a spark. You know, they go to San Antonio. So obviously an easy travel day on an off day. When they go to Sacramento, they stay for two games. So they don't have to travel at all for the second one. And then you go to Utah and play, you know, play that monster. If you think the Rockets... Defense doesn't look good. Wait till you play that offensive team. Maybe there's a chance to get the spark of a win and things can turn around a little bit. 
But that is, I think, part of the reason why, going back to what you were talking about, when Steven Siles has cleared his bench, he's pulling out rookies and young guys who need minutes. And so Jalen Green stays at about 25. He played 29 last night as opposed to more because you know, they look worn out. They look like a team that is dragging a little bit. So to keep pushing your starters up to the 32, 34 minute, all right, let, let Jalen go sit for a little bit. There's a lot of games left this year. And, and again, and then when they do get back from this road trip, then they get a little bit of a break in the schedule from the Sixer game that was supposed to be then and was moved to last night. And maybe that's a chance to regroup too, which is good timing because as we are getting closer to the trade deadline, maybe get a little momentum, get a spark of something going. And I know that it all sounds kind of down. It's kind of where they are. I think they feel it too. It's hard. Even if you know the organization says, look, we're not judging by that. We want you to grow. We want you to improve. It's hard walking off the court every night, you know, with a loss. Jalen Green has walked off the court twice with a win this year. Twice. That's got to be tough. Yeah, I mean, no one likes losing, right? It doesn't matter if, you know, you can say teams are trying to, to be bad so you can get picks, whatever. Like, these are professional basketball players. They make their living playing this game to win. Like, they, it doesn't matter what people in the front office might want, whatever. And I don't think anyone on the Rockets enjoys losing as badly as they have, whether in the front office or on the coaching staff or or the players, but certainly not the players. I think that it's it's just ludicrous to think that this is not affecting them in some way, particularly the young guys like Jalen Green, who obviously this is their first real real brush with with the NBA and you know he's they're used to winning at all other levels, whether it was the, the G League or you know, some of these guys who played in college um, and high level AAU in high school. So um, it's not fun, and maybe this upcoming portion of the schedule, as you discussed, will will be friendlier. But you know, the Rockets have to be a little friendlier to themselves and just play some defense. Yeah, just compete hard. You know, Jerome Solomon had a column this week comparing Cully and Sass, and how, in some ways, it seems the same. Where their teams are sort of stuck in the mud; they're not improving. But he made the case that, but Silas looks like the coach of the future. Cully does not. That you can't imagine Cully being there when that team, the Texans, turned things around. And he made the case. But you can see Silas coaching a good team. You know, give him some. And I would make the case that it's not just talk. It's all about development. And it's not just a front office strategy and setting up the roster. Everything Silas has to do now is teach guys how to play NBA basketball. There are so many things every game where... He just is trying to teach how to recognize this, how to position here, how far out do you close, where, where you know, how to turn correctly to where defensively you're in the right position to help, when to double team, how far to go in the double team, you know, how to rotate when someone else does. Every single thing, there's a hundred things that he's teaching guys. They've had to start so much at the beginning. I mean, we go back to the first game of the year where he had to tell guys what time to get to the arena when to get home, how long of a nap to take the day of the game, what time to get back to the arena, when to shoot. I mean, I I really don't think Steve Nash is telling James Harden that right now. And to go back to Jerome's point, he's the guy, okay, if you're asking him to teach to that level, you can see what they're trying to build. He can be the guy 
when they do build it and he gets a chance to do what he's trained to do forever. I don't know that fans are that patient or understanding and, you know, there's no reason that they should. They're fans. They get to, they want this for enjoyment. But I think he was right. I thought he made a good argument that uh, someday this guy should get a chance to coach a competitive team. Well, and Silas himself has even made the point that there are so many things that he feels he has to teach that he has to like self-edit because it's impossible to do all Mm -hmm. of them at once. He has to prioritize each week and each practice like, okay, what do we really, really need to be learning right now? Because he can't just overload them with all the information that they're missing. I mentioned the fans. I got to say, I am so impressed with Rocket fans. I, I've been thinking this the last couple of games. And you know the way every arena, the announcer says, the best fans in the NBA. And you go, yeah, yeah, you're all, all 30 are tied for best. And, you know, Houston fans don't have that reputation. You know, that, you know Bill Worrell said that on the Bill Worrell night, and which, by the way, was great. You know, it was a wonderful celebration. Naming the broadcast platform, the Bill Worrell uh, broadcast booth was terrific. And he didn't know that. Obviously, he knew about the celebration, but he didn't know that. And he was really touched. And he said that best fans in the NBA. And I got to give it to them. You know, they have totally the the fans who go to games. They get it that this is they're, they're not getting down on the team. For getting blown out. They're, they haven't been booed off the court at halftime as they absolutely would be in many cities. And when good things happen in the second half of games, they're already out of hand. You know, KJ Martin with a great dunk or, you know, whatever, uh, a fast, a steal and fast break from Josh Christopher. They're cheering it, you know, a, a rally to cut the lead to 17. And they're practically hanging a banner. You know, I, I think I've been just so impressed that they've got it. They, you know, I think the Rockets get credit in that they've communicated well what the plan is and why they are this way. But the crowds have been just unbelievably supportive uh, of the the process. And you know, Philly fans who get the reputation of being Philly fan, well, it's not like in Philly. They were that way during the original the process. They, you know, when Embiid wasn't even playing yet. They were that way, where they got it. When Bill Worrell said the best fans in the NBA, with a voice way better than mine or anyone else's, when he said that, I thought, you know what? They have been really cool. They have, I don't know if players stop to think about that, but these guys have been unbelievably supportive. Yeah, well, we'll have to see if that positivity uh, and support can endure. You get a, a mulligan maybe on last season because of every craziness, and you get understanding for this season. After that, uh, you know, eventually I think fans have a right to expect tangible evidence that it's working. You expect to see, you know, summer additions pan out and not be guys who come in and out uh, along the way, as we, we talked about earlier, might be the case with Daniel Tice. And before we're out of time, I guess we have – one more weekly topic that we always do every week. How's the ramping up going with John Wall? Is he ramped? Is the two-week ramp up uh, progressing? Is it? Has it been uh, two weeks yet? Uh, it's been closer to two months, I would say. From so, uh, I guess <laughs> the answer is not not well. The, the answer is nothing has changed. Nothing at all. That you know, from the summer, not just from that weekend blow up where. 
you know, he's having conversations. He was always having conversations. And so we have not seen him since Chicago, since at Chicago about two, three weeks ago. Uh, you know, the holidays came. I'm sure he spent them with his family rather than just watching from the bench. But, uh, you know, we'll talk more when we get real close to the trade deadline. The chances of it were never really good, but the, it was more likely that he'd be traded at the deadline than throughout the first months of the season. So it's not real great chance. What happens if he doesn't get traded? Do they revisit the buyout conversation? Do they take off the red shirt and let him start playing? He sure would have been good to have last night. I mean, they couldn't even get into their offense uh, very often. There's times his absence is conspicuous, and last night was one of them. And so that's something else that we'll be talking about in the next three weeks as we do our Tuesday podcast, getting closer to the trade deadline. I- I'm going to say I think the- I think there's going to be they're going to burp out a few wins here and there. I, I don't. Expect another seven-game winning streak to come as they begin a five-game road trip. San Antonio's playing way better. Uh, lost in New York last night at the end of their road trip, but playing well. Jante Murray's playing at an all-star level. But you go to San Antonio, two games in Sacramento. Go on a limb. They're going to get a win, aren't they? I think they can. They can beat the Kings. I mean, this is another team who's, you know, Six, 16 and a half games back in, from, in the Western Conference, something like that. I don't know. They're, they're not great either. Yeah, well, of the two teams, only one of them has a five-game losing streak. I mean, yes, yes, you're right, you're right. Um, so I, I think that's that's certainly possible, more possible than, you know, after Sacramento when they go to, to Utah and then to Golden State. So uh, I definitely think that also just not having to play either game in Sacramento as a back-to-back, which they've done so often, uh, as you pointed out during these last few weeks, um, you know, that should help. I think just being able to play one game, stay there for a day and then play another game, uh, I think will will help kind of relieve some of the exhaustion that we've seen. Yeah, I think they're 0-7 in the second half of back-to-backs. I know the O part. Uh, so they have not won the second game of a back-to-back yet this year. But, I, you know, I don't want to end it. I was trying to end it on an upbeat note that they're going to win a game in the next three. We're, we're putting it on the line. Well, there you go. You just said it. Stop. <laughs> Stop. All right. Well, we'll be back again next week from, I guess, beautiful Salt Lake City. And uh, things will be turning around and they'll be one week closer to the trade deadline when things get really interesting, I think, for this team. Until then, I'm Jonathan Fagan with Danielle Lerner. Thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you again next week on the Texas Sports Nation podcast.